Let's, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to preach. Thank you that you are here with us, Lord God, and we ask that you would speak through us. And like Vince just said, we, we, we really don't know what words to say, but Jesus, you are the word to say. So we pray that you would be said through us. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, to pray constantly. So he's not saying have devotions, he's saying be devoted. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So do you always pray and never lose heart? I mean, sometimes I lose heart and I stop praying. Do you? Yeah. Why? Why? Let us praise God. O Lord, oh, you are so big, so absolutely huge, gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you, gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. King of the Britons, your knights of the round table shall have a task to make them an example in these dark times. Good idea, O oh Lord. Of course it's a good idea. Behold, Arthur, this is the Holy Grail. Look well, Arthur, for it is your sacred task to seek this Grail. That is your purpose, Arthur. The quest for the Holy Grail. When one considers the meaning of life, it is a struggle between alternative viewpoints of life itself. And without the ability to defend one's own viewpoint against other, perhaps more aggressive ideologies, then reasonableness and moderation could quite simply disappear. That is why we'll always need an army. And may God strike me down were it to be otherwise. Don't stand there, Corbin! Like you've never seen the hand of God before! I'm sorry, um, but I'm a middle-aged American male, and, and that means that much of what I've learned about prayer, I've learned through Monty Python. <laughs> and I've stopped praying because I think sometimes I feel like I'm talking to a wall. A tourist was in Jerusalem and went to the Wailing Wall and talked to this old rabbi that had been praying at the wall for hours. And the tourist said, well, when you pray, Rabbi, what do you pray about? And he says, I, uh, I pray for Israel and I, I pray for my family. I pray for the nations. I, I pray for shalom. And the tourist said, well, do you find it effective? And the rabbi said, effective? It's like talking to a wall. P.A. Yesu Domine, Dona Eis Requiem. Pious Lord Jesus, give them rest. Whack, but, but no, no rest, 
no rest. And so I lose heart because uh, I just feel like I'm talking to a wall and punishing myself. Sometimes I wonder if my prayers are ineffective because I don't know how to pray. Oh, Lord, ooh, you are so huge. Thee, thou, omnipresent deity. In Luke 11, seven chapters before Jesus says this, the disciples, they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And you know what he says? Okay, say this. Say, Dad, Father, Abba, holy is your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our, our bread, uh, forgive us as we forgive and help us out of temptation. Period. That's it. No seminars, no classes, no workbooks, just say that. And then he adds, look, look, if you ask a friend for bread, he'll give it to you. Just so you stop bugging him. So ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. If you, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? No classes, no workbooks, no seminars. Just ask. So he doesn't even seem too concerned about how we ask, but that we do ask. Yet often I don't ask because I think to myself, well, my ideas can't change God's ideas. Like he says to King Arthur, of course it's a good idea! <laughs> so, so why talk about it? Why discuss it? One night when my daughter Elizabeth was really little, she ended this long, involved, confusing prayer with this statement. She said, but I guess you know all of that because you can read my brain. Amen. <laughs> amen. And, and we think amen means stop, but it doesn't mean stop. But why should I pray if God already knows everything that I'm going to say? And like Scripture says, he doesn't change. Well, maybe prayer doesn't change God, but, but maybe it changes you. And maybe prayer, uh, maybe God's unchanging e eternal choice is that he would change you. So you would pray and, and change him, or at least move him from a mountain to a manger to, to a cross. Maybe God's eternal decree is a love story, and you're part of that love story. Maybe... He just likes hearing your voice the way I like hearing my daughter's voice. Well, sometimes I've stopped praying because I don't think it makes a difference. And sometimes I think I've stopped praying because I'm a little stressed that it will. I mean, in my day, I, I've seen some bona fide miracles and they can really mess with you. And I've prayed some prayers that in retrospect, I now realized he answered and the answer was painful. I mean, sometimes the Lord bears his holy arm, as Isaiah calls it. Sometimes God delivers his justice, and, well, we don't like his, his, his justice that, that, that he delivers. So we think it might be wise just to leave him well enough alone. See, God can be a bit terrifying. So we lose heart and stop praying a bit terrified that he might be an unjust judge. Or maybe terrified that he's just and, and we're a bit unjust. Well, chapter 18, verse 8, Luke writes this. He, 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 he told them, Jesus told them a parable to the effect 
that they ought always to pray and not ekakeo, not give up. So if this parable makes you want to give up, you're probably not understanding it. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bugging me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. So what's the point of that parable? You know, if you think it's nag God till you tire him out, well, maybe you don't understand it because you can't tire God out. And so if that's what it is, well, that kind of tires me out and makes me want to give up. But, but the whole point of the parable is don't, don't give up. So, so maybe we should ask, what is this widow asking for? Verse three, there was a widow in that city, you know, along with orphans in that ancient patriarchal society, widows were the most vulnerable, uh, destitute and abused of people, and that's because they lacked a covering. They lacked a strong arm, they lacked a voice, they lacked a a helper, they lacked a, a husband. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to this unjust judge saying, give me justice, ekdikeo, bring out right against my adversary, antidikos, the anti-right. For a while, literally for chronos, for time, he refused. How many of you have asked for, for justice and yet it seems like you just don't get justice in this age? So, you, so you, you, you give up. Verse four, for a while, literally for Kronos, for time, he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I, I neither fear God nor respect man, the judge says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, ek dikeo, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous, adikios, unjust judge says, and will not God give justice, do the ek dikesis, the justice, the bringing out the right, uh, the vengeance, to his elect, who cried him day and night. So as we were wondering, what is this widow asking for? Well, first, she's asking for, for help. You know, sometimes we, we belittle prayers like, like that. But Jesus is telling the story so that we would keep praying prayers, kind of like that. We'd ask for help, because I guess we all really need help. You know, to pray for stuff, prosukomai, is, is really to do something that is nothing. And nothing that is, is something. It's announcing that you can do nothing, uh, so you want a helper to do the, the something. She's asking for help. More specifically, she's acting, asking for ekdikesos, which is often translated vengeance. The Roman occupiers appointed judges in every territory. But usually those judges did not fear Yahweh and they really didn't care what the Jews thought of them. But a desperate Jewish widow might have no other place to turn if, for instance, someone stole a goat, her goat, or slandered her, or accused her, or violated her, her rights in some way. She needed help. 
particularly in the absence of a helper, a husband, a, a, a strong arm. Whenever we ask God for something, we're asking for ekdikesis, uh, although we really struggle to define what that means. Here in the English Standard Version, it's translated giving justice. In, in my interlinear, which attempts to translate it most literally, it's translated bringing out right. It's also translated as vengeance. You, you know, when you go to a judge for justice, when we go to a judge for justice, we usually think that we know what justice is, right? So we hope that the judge will agree with our definition of justice. And yet we need judges precisely because we cannot all seem to agree, agree on, on what justice is. If a judge doesn't agree with our definition of justice, what do we do? We, we judge the judge to be an unjust judge. And of course, this raises a profoundly difficult question that Jesus just seems delighted to ask, and that is, is God an unjust judge? How the hell are we supposed to answer that question? I mean, seriously. How do we answer it? We, we can't even answer the question, is Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton a, a, a just judge? <laughs> Let alone, is the creator just. Is the judge just? Is the judge a just judge? See, as soon as you ask, um, is God just? As soon as you say God is not just, what have you done? You've judged the judge and made yourself the judge. As soon as an atheist says, I don't believe in God for God is not just, he announces faith in another God that is himself. Or perhaps an unknown God that he thinks he knows a God that he is called justice. So is God an unjust judge? See, answering that question would require a miracle, for we would have to judge justice. And yet we all assume that very miracle because we're constantly arguing over justice, what justice is. It's like we all have some dreadful, strange, imperfect, holy, yet deadly knowledge as to what the, the just, the right, and the good is. Knowledge like fruit stolen from some miraculous ancient tree or, or, some, or something. And because of that knowledge, we cannot help but ask this question. What is just? What is right? What is good? Is God an unjust judge? Is God good? So is God an unjust judge? See, that all depends on your definition of justice. And as we've been preaching, most people define, most people define justice as getting what you deserve. And grace as getting what you don't deserve. But if justice is simply getting what you deserve, then justice is simply the end of you and all creation. For God created all from nothing and himself, so we have nothing with which we could deserve anything from him except him. It's, 
It's like Paul writes in Romans 11, quoting Job 41. Oh, who has given a gift to God? <laughs> who? In the Hebrew, it's also, or who has hindered God, such that he should be repaid? For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If you think justice is getting what you deserve, I pray to God that you are not a father, for you will be one hell of an evil father, an evil daddy, for your children can never repay what you've given. I pray you're not a father, and I pray you're not a husband, for if you think justice is getting what you deserve, you haven't married a bride. You've hired a whore. And isn't it interesting that that's what God says about Jerusalem? That's his complaint about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you keep playing the whore. Jerusalem, you want to be a whore. Jerusalem, you think you can buy my love. You think you can take my love like, like a thief. Lamentation chapter 1, verse 1. Through Jeremiah the prophet, God says to Jerusalem, his bride, how like a widow has she become? Not just a bride playing a, a whore, but a, a bride who has become... A widow, as if someone has murdered her husband. So is God unjust? Well, as I, as I was saying, when most folks ask a judge for justice, they're asking the judge to agree with their judgment. And if he doesn't, they judge the judge to be unjust. They may even judge that justice is <laughs> executing the judge. However... If you were to truly ask a judge for justice, truly, you would actually desire his or her judgment for what? You would trust that his or, judgment, his or her judgment was, was just. And that's how you'd gain knowledge of the good. You wouldn't try to take the judgment and manipulate the judgment. You would receive the judgment because you had faith that the judge was good. Well, anyway, this, this widow wants justice from an unjust judge. Jesus seems to be saying, look, even if the judge seems unjust, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep, 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 keep asking, keep asking for justice, and you'll get justice at decasis. Now, this is terribly, brutally important, and you can go ask Allison about this because she teaches this stuff later, okay? So... She's over there, and you can ask her if you, you doubt me. I think this clears up a whole bunch of problems in 1,500 years of theology in the Western church. But unlike in the English language, righteousness, justice, and vengeance are all one word group in Greek. So dike can be translated right or just. Dikaios is translated righteousness or just. Dikaiosune is usually translated righteousness, but it also means justice. Dikaiao uh, means make right and is translated justify. Ek is a prefix which means out, so ek dikeo means bring out right or bring out the just. It's also translated avenge. Ek dikesis is the noun, meaning making right right or making justice also translated vengeance Romans chapter 12 verses 7 through 9 Paul writes this don't repay evil with evil dearly beloved dearly beloved never yourselves 
Never, ever avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath, the passion of God, for it is written, Ecdecasis is mine. I will repay. I will recompense. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And then Paul says this crazy stuff. He says, uh, look, just do this. Just be kind to your enemies. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head like brimstone, as if the ecdecasis of God is kindness. Well, anyway, the widow says, give me vengeance, ecdecasis, against my antidecos, my adversary. My adver Who is the woman's adversary? Who, who, is, who is your adversary? You know, Paul tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood. And Peter tells us that the accuser is our adversary. Yet scripture makes it clear that the accuser has no power over us unless we believe him, unless we believe his lies. I could tell some crazy stories at this point, but suffice it to say, Jesus once revealed to me very dramatically that with fear, we put flesh on the evil one. So our real enemy is what? Fear. Faithlessness. You know, throughout the Old Testament, God saves people from all sorts of stuff, like Philistines and natural disasters. But the angel reveals that the Christ will be named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All sin is a lack of faith. And that means I am my own worst adversary. So when I ask, even if I don't realize this, when I ask for justice against my adversary, I'm asking for righteousness in my place of shame. Well, we all ask for ectocasis, justice, and can barely even begin to understand what it is or who it is for which we're asking. Even so, Jesus is saying, keep asking, keep asking. Guys, keep just keep asking, just keep talking, keep, keep asking. Luke 4, 19, quoting Isaiah, Jesus seems to be saying, the day of ectikesos, uh, the, the day of ectikesos, I don't even know how to say it right, ectikesos, he says, it's at hand. The day of vengeance is at hand. The day of revealing the right, the day of making right, the day of final judgment when it is finished. That day, Isaiah 61 2, the day of vengeance is at hand. Isaiah 63 4, it's the day that the strong arm of the Lord, one like a son of man and a slaughtered limb, the day he tramples the winepress alone, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, from which pours a river of blood, blood that's wine and wine uh, that, 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 that's, that's blood, that the day the Lord reveals his righteousness and does justice. One thing we can be sure of, his justice is not the opposite of his forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, and I think those are like grapes of wrath, like we mentioned last time, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, dikaios, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all adikia, unrighteousness. The idea that justice is the opposite of forgiveness and forgiveness is the opposite of justice is unbiblical and I think it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Forgiveness is God's ecdecasis 
upon sin. As if God's final judgment is to answer his own prayer spoken from a tree in the very pit of hell. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive her. She does not know what she does, what she's doing. Well, anyway, Jesus says, guys, keep asking. Keep asking for help. Because, you see, there was this widow, just some widow, some widow, and she kept asking an unjust judge, who she thought was there, she keeps asking this unjust judge for help, and, and she got it. Verse 6, and Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice, literally do the ectocasis, to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Literally, will he not patiently long endure them? The translators really struggle here because the word macrothumeo means hold back anger for a time. And the way Jesus says it, it implies that God's anger is directed against the widow who is the elect as if she's her own worst adversary. So the New King James translates it this way, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them? See, that, that only makes sense if, if the elect are their own worst adversaries. And, and now who are the elect? Well, wouldn't the elect be the ones that Christ has chosen? And wouldn't be the ones that he has chosen be the ones that he came to call? And in Luke chapter 5, he told us, I came not to call the righteous, the dikaios, but sinners. And aren't we all sinners? None is righteous, no, not one, writes, writes Paul in Romans 3. And then he explains that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the manifestation of God's righteousness in order that, verse 26, God might be just and the justifier of the faith of Jesus or the one that has the faith of Jesus. See, we're justified by, by faith, and it's, and it's Jesus' faith. Faith is reckoned as righteousness because... It is righteousness. And Christ is our righteousness. First, Christ Jesus, whom God made our righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1. Jesus makes us right with himself, and that righteousness is faith, Jesus' faith in us. Crazy, crazy, wild stuff, but that's what the Bible says, even though hardly anybody believes it. That's ekdikasis, verse 6. And Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night, and he bears long with them? I tell you, he will give justice, ha ekdikesis, the vengeance, the justice, the righteousness to them speedily. <laughs> what a bizarre thing to say. Because I, I, he, 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 he says this, he will patiently, God will patiently, for, or the judge will patiently long, patiently for a long time endure their cries for help, even though they make him angry, but believe me, he will answer their prayers and give them the ectocasis speedily. Well, how speedily? Jesus said this just before he entered Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem is 
his bride. Who has played the whore? And she will now kill her bridegroom, which would make her a widow. But her bridegroom is also the judge. And as he hangs on the tree, having descended into darkness, he issues his judgment. Father, forgive her, for she knows not what she does. And he delivers up his spirit. The spirit that cries, Abba, Daddy, in us. Well, the 12 disciples are also Jerusalem, and it's the judge that's telling the story, and this will all happen in about a week. I mean, that's pretty speedily, don't you think? And we are also all Jerusalem, and we will all see God's ectacases by the end of our age. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'll bet we'll say, dang, that was quick. That happened speedily. But maybe it's even more speedily. Remember, Jesus is talking about prayer, and God is answering, uh, about God answering prayer, and Jesus says some crazy stuff about prayer. I think this is the craziest. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's like crazy juice for a million TV preachers. Crazy, it's just crazy. But St. Paul is even more crazy, because not only will it be yours, it's already yours. First Corinthians three, all things are yours. He just says that, all, all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Acts 17, in God we live and move and have our being. Ephesians two, we are already seated with God in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's nuts. But, but it's like Paul has had a vision of something. And he's just struggling with how to say it. He believes it, but he doesn't know how to say it. He actually believes that the kingdom of God is like at hand. And we could like then reach out and touch it, except for the fact that we don't see it. We don't have faith. I once had an experience kind of like that. I mean, it was about 20 years ago now. I saw that God was everywhere loving me. It lasted, I don't know, for like maybe a half hour or so. And when it was over, I found it impossible to worry, to be afraid. It lasted for about three weeks, and then it wore off. So with my head, I know it to be true, but with my heart, I'm still struggling to believe. You see, maybe God really has given us all things, but we're not ready to receive all things, for everything is grace, and so everything must be received by faith. Faith in grace. We're like babies that have inherited a kingdom. But we can't receive it because we've barely opened our eyes. And we've barely, we haven't even yet begun to talk. We're like foolish virgins who find themselves at the door of the wedding chamber. But don't yet have a clue as to what's going to happen inside. We're like sons to whom the father says, all that I have is yours. But we don't want all that he has because one of the things that he has is our little brother. Our little sister, we don't want grace. So maybe the issue in prayer is not getting what we want, but learning to want what we've already got. 
which is the Son of God and all things with him. All things. Dang. That would include all people, if people are anything. Well, the way Jesus tells a story, it's like, check this out. The widow shows up in court every day asking for this, asking for that, asking for her goat, asking the judge to to make things right. And you know, all men are unjust judges, but God is the just judge, even though we judge him as unjust. She shows up every day asking, and the judge answers speedily. God answers speedily. He answers speedily and makes everything right, and yet the widow thinks nothing is right because she does not know what or who the right is. It's like she's complaining to justice that there is no justice. It's like she's asking her helper to help her find her helper. Because you see, that's what this woman really needs, right? And that's what this widow really wants. She may not know it. She may be too ashamed to admit it. She may be too proud to say it, even to herself. She doesn't really need or want money or a house or good credit or reputation. She cries out for ectocasis, but none of these things, house, car, money, food, none of these things will vindicate her. The only thing that will vindicate her is what? Her husband. And the judge answers speedily. Actually, he answered long before she asked. The judge has been arranging all things so that she would ask. The judge is her maker and her husband, Isaiah 54, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more, because your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So who's the widow? Us. And who's the judge? God, or God in flesh, Jesus. And why are we a widow? (laughs) Well, because we crucified our husband, the judge. And why did we crucify the judge? Because we judged him to be an unjust judge. And why, oh, why did he let us crucify him? To show us he is just. But now look, look, look to the judgment seat. For the judgment seat is also a throne. And he's standing on the throne as if he had been slain and was risen from the dead. And now he issues his judgment. Look, I make all things new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's Revelation 21.5. And he's speaking to his bride. And his bride is you. (laughs) So what's your problem? I mean, really, what's our problem? What is not right uh, with us? We don't trust him. 
To put it in theological language, we lack faith. But don't worry, Jesus said, sweetheart, sweetheart, listen, just keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking for help. Just keep asking for help. Do you remember what God said to Adam on the sixth day of creation before he divided Adam into Adam and Eve? So he's talking to both of them because he's a he-she at this point. He said, it is not good that Adam should be alone. I will make a helper fit for Adam, which means mankind. Uh, Adam looked at at all the animals, male and female, but he couldn't find his helper. Uh, That is, we, mankind, couldn't find our helper, our Azer. Over and over in the Old Testament, God says, the Lord, I am, is your Azer. That word never refers to human husband or wife. A human husband or wife refers to it. Male and female refer to Christ and his called out ones. The church, do you understand? At the cross, Yahweh, the Lord God, made himself fit, a helper fit for us. God is our helper. Jesus said, sweetheart, sweetheart, just keep asking for help, and, and one day you'll realize you're not just asking for help. You're asking for your helper, and I am your helper. So why, why does he not answer for a time? Or why does it seem like he doesn't answer for a time? Well, maybe he wants us to ask him in time, uh, that he might romance us for a time, that he might grow faith during that time, that we might trust him for all eternity. Actually, if you read Revelation closely, I think you'll see that we're trapped in time until we've learned to not only ask for help, but come to trust our helper. And we will trust our helper, for he romances us from eternity. It is done. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of your story. And it's a love story. The judge answers suddenly. In fact, he answers long before the widow asks the question. It's actually his judgment that created the question. It's his judgment that's making her ask the question. The question, will you help me? Then will you give me justice? Then will you make my world right? Then will you make me right? Will you justify me? Because I can't justify myself. Ecticasis, I want righteousness in me. I want you in me. Righteousness in my place of shame. Someone once asked George MacDonald, if God is so good, and if he knows all that we need, why should it be necessary to ask for anything? And MacDonald answered this way, what if he knows prayer to be the thing that we need first and most? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our great, our endless need, the need of himself? You see what that, that, what, what that means? It means everything. It at least means this. Just the fact that you're asking means God is already answering. So to ask for the right is to already be a bit right. You're a bit right. To ask for justice is to already have 
some justice. Uh, you ask for righteousness, and check this out. Check this out. Righteousness is that you would ask. Faith. It's already happening. Faith makes you ask, and faith is righteousness. It's a seed of righteousness, and it will grow. It will grow. You know, when my children were little, I just loved to hear them ask. And, and, and they learned to ask. You know how they learned to ask? By asking. They learned to talk by talking. In fact, I'd hold them in my arms. When they were first born, I'd hold them in my arms, and I'd, I'd do this. I'd go, say, say, dada, say, dada, say, dada, say, dada. A Hebrew father would do this. He'd say, say, Abba, say, Abba, say, Abba, say, Abba. You see, I gave them my word to help them ask. Asking was my word, my idea in them. And, and believe me, they asked and they asked, daddy, 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 and asked and asked and asked and asked. And yet, you know what? I didn't always grant what they asked. I, I didn't always give them what they asked, even though I was capable of giving what they asked, and even though everything that I had uh, was there, everything that mine was there. I didn't grant every gift the moment they asked. For I knew that first and, and most, they needed not the gifts, which would spoil them. That first and most, they didn't need the gifts, they needed the giver. I knew that more than my help, they needed and truly wanted me, their helper. And, and, and you know, I actually don't care how they ask, whether they dangle their prepositions or conjugate their verbs or participle, whatever it is you dangle, or the verbs, whether they conjugate them. I don't really care so much about how they ask. I just care that they ask for me. My, my children are all young adults now. And you know what scares me the most? I mean, this literally wakes me up around three in the morning, this fear. It's, it's this fear that, that one of them will stop asking for their helper because of shame. And so they will be trapped alone. Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. So hell must be not asking for heaven. Hell is losing faith in your helper. Hell is, is being alone. So I love it that my children ask. Even more, I love it that my, my bride asks. In the fall of 1977, Mrs. Rydberg sat Susan Coleman right next to Peter Hyatt in Masterpieces of American Literature. She will now tell you that she stole my thesis idea, or, or logos, she stole my thesis idea for the senior paper. But you see, I was more than happy to give her my idea for the senior paper. In fact, that was my plan all along. The moment I sat next to her, I developed the plan. <laughs> in fact, I would arrange everything in my power so that she would ask for my help, so that I could give her my help. 
I took her to scary movies so that she'd sit close to me and ask for my comfort. Why? Because I wanted to be her comforter. I took her camping. I carried her pack because I wanted her to ask for my strength because I, I wanted to be her strength. I listened to her talk, man. I just listened to her talk and talk and talk about stuff and stuff and stuff. Just talk, talk, talk and talk. I wanted her to, I wanted her to ask for my counsel because I wanted to be her wisdom, her, her counsel. I constantly arranged things so that she'd ask for my help all in the hope that one day she would ask for me. And so on October 30th, 1981, I asked her, Susan, I'm asking you to ask, not only for my help, but for me, your helper. Actually, what I said is, will you marry me? I think Jesus is saying, guys, keep asking for help. Just keep asking. And one day, you will want your helper from the depths of your heart. Madeline Lingo writes this, until I tell God what I want, I have no way of knowing whether or not I truly want it. So it's like speaking your wants reveals what it is you, you truly want. I would see that happen with my kids when they they talk to me, you know. Jesus said, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you may ask for a car, but what you really want is the way. You may ask for directions, but what you are learning to want is the truth. You may ask for healing, but you are learning to want what you really want, the life. See, you're not just asking for a house. You're asking for a husband and to become his home. You're not just asking for help. You're asking for the helper. You're not just asking for a pet kitten. You're asking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, our problem, like Lewis says, is not that our desires are too strong, but far too weak. Maybe asking makes them grow. He's the logos. That means he's the rhythm in every song. He's the sweetness in the ice cream. He's the beauty in the sunset. He's the joy in the laughter. He's romancing you with all creation. He'd like you to ask him for more, more of himself. <clears throat> so listen closely, old woman, tired, destitute, worn out, abandoned. Listen closely, Jerusalem. You're not just asking for justice, are you? You're not just asking for what you call justice. I mean, getting what you think you deserve and giving to others what you think they deserve. Tit for tat, payback. I mean, that doesn't really satisfy, does it? You should know that by now. It leaves you empty, doesn't it? What you call justice is desecration and death. What God calls justice is creation and life. His commandment is eternal life, said Jesus. You've asked for what you call justice, but you're not just asking for justice. You're you're not just asking for dead justice. You're asking for your helper. So now, pay attention. You're not just asking for justice. You're asking for the judge. And this is his judgment. On the night we all betrayed him, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. 
Take it, eat it. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. It's a marriage covenant. And this is justice. And now, would you trust him? That's called faith. Jesus ends the story this way. Uh, he ends with this line that is a question. It can also be translated as a statement. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, faith is a miracle. It's judging that the judge is just. It's saying, I love you. Back to God from the depths of your heart. So let's do that right now. Beginning in the back row, dark cup is wine, light cup is juice. Well, that's called prayer. <clears throat> what you're just doing, singing that song. Keep that up. You know, sometimes people are like, what was the point of that sermon? Holy, just went everywhere. Well, there is a very practical application to this sermon, isn't there? And what would that be? Prayer. Prayer. Yeah, just keep praying. Don't give up. Talk to God. Now, I know, I know you think that, that he doesn't answer. That's what I, that's what I often think. And uh, like I said, a few times in my life, he's answered in ways that just blew my mind, my science brain, and I went, Oh, he's actually there. He's actually listening. So keep talking to God. He answers with your life. Do you realize that? He's the creator. That means he's speaking everything into existence all around you, like the holodeck on the Enterprise or whatever. But talk to God. He answers with your life. And when you're like, crap, what does this mean? Because you do that all the time, right? Okay, talk to God. He answers with your life, and he means Jesus, and Jesus is what you want. He's your helper. Believe the gospel. Amen.